0: Thank you for checking out this talk from the Fierce Families Conference that took place back in October of 2023. Our mission for this conference was to put God's design for marriage and family on full display, and then to equip marriages and families to live out God's beautiful design in the context in which he's placed them. So if you'd like to learn more about the Fierce Families Conference, perhaps to attend a conference in the future, or to bring the Fierce Families Conference to your own area, just go to fiercefamilies.com. So the man, the mission, and the craft. And so I have about 40 less than minutes. Ryan, this is a problem. Um, And so I want to talk about, I want to break down these three areas, the man, the mission, and the craft. Uh, First, we need to understand it, and then prepare for it, and then work at it. And so the way this works out is we're first going to understand the mission. So we're going to do a little bit of a revision and say the mission, and then prepare for it as a man, and then work at it within the craft. And so to start, uh, John 17, 4, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Who said that? Come on, interactive. Who said that? Jesus said that. And so now, perhaps, perhaps not now, but at some point throughout this weekend, I want you to, get, to go find some silence and solitude. And I want you to, to go through two scenarios in your minds, okay? The first scenario is this. You have less than 24 hours to live. Less than 24 hours to live. And I don't want you to think about what you would do for this next 24 hours. I want you to think back and say, what's been the totality of your life? Are you satisfied with your life? Could you stand before God and say that you have completed the work that he has given you to do? And the second scenario is this. You've had a long life. You're now 85, 90, 95. I don't know. Maybe you guys have aspirations to live 110 years old. It doesn't matter. But the point is this. Now reflect on your life. Up till now, point now, and then from now on, what does a successful life look like? What is it the work that God has given you to do? What is that mission? What does a failed life look like? And we can kind of reverse engineer this and say, we're not going to do that life. We're going to do this life. Because no matter how good or life gets, it's really, really short. And I want you guys to experience how short life is. Everybody with me right now. Ready? Take a deep breath. Let it out. It's over. Your life is over. It's that short. Psalm 39.4. four. Oh, Lord. Make me to know my end. What is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths. Handbreadths. Linear. You got two hands? Make it a little awkward. You got to put a third because it says a few. Okay? But that's linear. And compared to what? Circumference of the earth? There's your life in circumference of the earth. No, no, no. Eternity is bigger than that. How about the universe? The moon further, the star, the universe. This is the length of your life. It's that. It's over. And my time may be as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. And I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to stand before God and hear him say, Son, I created you with great giftings. And I'm disappointed that you got caught up in the cares and riches of this world. Or, son, I supported you. I imparted my righteousness to you. And had you been willing to give up X, Y, or Z, I could have used you more. I don't want to hear that. And perhaps that sounds weird. Maybe you guys don't contemplate things like that, but I do. No, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with little. I will make you ruler over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Amen? Amen. And so I want to share some additional verses, some of my favorite verses that help substantiate this notion that we were called not just to a job, not just to work as men we are called to work, but we are called to a specific purpose. I want us to grapple with the idea that there is a uniqueness to the work that you have been given to. The way that you were made, your personality, your giftings and talents, the things you enjoy and even the desires of your heart. The question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that you were given a work that nobody else can do? Nobody else. I cannot do the work that Ryan is called to do, and he cannot do the work that I am called to do. Psalm 20, verse 4. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. Notice the your purpose. Esther 4.14. For if you keep silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have come to this kingdom for such a time as this. Do you believe that you were born for such a time as this? Right now, the state of our society, the state of our country, the state of the world... Your city, your church, your family, your marriage, your children, you were born for such a time as this. God's purposes will not be thwarted. It said right there in Esther that had she not acted, God will will provide deliverance, but it comes at a cost. When we do not obey, it comes at a cost. When we fail to accomplish our mission, it's costly, and we'll see that when we get to obedience. Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are not created to go through passively in life. Just as Jesus was given a mission, we were given a mission to accomplish on this earth. We are not relegated to the sidelines. You are given a voice for the battle of of Christendom. There's been a constant and methodical attack on men in Western society for several decades. It's been a soft yet persistent voice against masculinity that's culminated into the rejection of men in general. And the response of men has been abysmal, like terrible. We've been relegated to the, to the sidelines, to the peripheries, the center of blame and the edge of influence, And we need to understand that this is a war. It's a spiritual war, but a war nonetheless. And it's one that's fought with prayer, with faith, with boldness, courage, and action. And I want you to come to the realization that that you are a part of that. That you have a place in that. In that action. And I think there... I want to encourage you guys. There are a lot of men in this room that are discouraged. And I want you to be encouraged. And I think there are some cause for that discouragement. There are some things that keep us on the sidelines that either hold us back from this missional conviction or maybe we have the missional conviction but we don't know how to get in the game. And so I want to talk about the man. What holds men back? What keeps us from the fight? And who is the man that God chooses to use? I want to explore four requirements of the man and these are not in total. In fact, I left a big one out prayer, which is sad, but um, so you'll have to do your own study on that. But prayer is listed in this, okay? I need, to, I need to say that now. The first is repentance. And I'll say unload the rocks from your backpack. The second is obedience. And obedience equals blessing, and disobedience equals cursing. The third is faithfulness. Faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. Faithful in little, you'll be entrusted with much. Fourth is blameless heart, trusting in the Lord. So repentance. If you want to be used by God, we need to be set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house. 2 Timothy 2.19 The Lord knows who, those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. No, a great house... No, uh, excuse me, sorry. No, in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So, one of the things we realize when we're looking at these qualifications is by and large we get to choose. We get to choose if we want to be used by God or not. There are a lot of if-then statements that we're going to look at this morning, and this is the first one. We get to decide, and the way that we get to decide is based on repentance. If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, then he will be a vessel of honorable use. If you are set apart as holy, then you will be useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. For God tells us that he uses the men who are set apart, who are holy. How are we made holy? By the finished work of Christ. And it's not by our good works, but by what he has done and what he accomplished. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Men, we must repent. We must be repentant. And then we must recover. And one of the things that we teach our four kids are the four R's. Reflect, repent, reconcile, and recover. Reflection. We recognize that we have sinned. And I should state that a little bit of context to that. Uh, this is a daily thing. This is not like the sinner's prayer where we recognize we sin and, and, and we repent and, and accept Christ. This, this is a daily thing for us. So we recognize, we reflect on the day. What areas have, have we sinned? How was our attitude? How was our heart? How was our obedience? We repent. We turn from that sin. We don't want it. Our hearts and minds in anguish. We turn to God. And we declare that we do not want that sin. Then we reconcile. If we have sinned against another, we go to that other one. And whenever possible, we reconcile. We apologize for our sin. We own the sin. We recognize it and reconcile. And then we recover, number four. And this is the part that a lot of men forget. And there's three types of men in this. There are some men who don't think they sin, therefore they don't have anything to recover from. They don't think they've done anything wrong. They don't reflect on it. They don't think about it. And then there are men who realize that they have sinned. They're broken by it and they wallow in it. They don't know how to get out of that. And then there's the third type, which is where we want to be, which is which is to be broken by it and then trust God in in trust trust Paul and what he says. Um, but trust God in, in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the, for, the up, for the prize of the upward call of Christ. We don't sit in our past, we recover from it. We trust God to cover it as far as the east is from the west. And not for now, we don't have time, but Micah 7, 7 to 9 is also a really good place to consider that as well. And and the recovery process, this is what I call unloading the rocks from our backpack. This is where we bring darkness into light. For us to be effective and used by God, we need to be on mission without hesitancy, without trepidation, and without intimidation. And one of the things that the enemy uses against us are the things that weigh us down. It could be sin, but it it doesn't even have to be sin. It could be trauma. It could be shame or fear, feelings of inadequacy. Anything that holds you back, anything that that prevents you from taking action, can be used against you. Whether it be hidden secret sin that you need to repent of, or trauma and insecurities. It's the equivalent of of loading up a backpack full of rocks and trying to climb a mountain. Really hard to do, right? Right? It's heavy, it's weighty, it holds you back, and it doesn't allow you to move forward. And some of these rocks are more like boulders, and we really need to process those boulders, break them up, and get them out. And unless you unload the rock from your backpack, you'll be restricted to the mountains that you climb, the roads that you travel, and how far you go. And so how do we unload the rocks from the backpack? Well, we expose them. We bring darkness to light, even if it's not sin. When we expose the things that we're frightened of, we're no longer frightened by it. And and we reject the lie and we believe the truth. James 5.16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The healing process includes this confession and this prayer with brothers. 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... Then, there's the if-then again, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. God is capable of healing our lands. When we bring darkness to light, it removes the ability of the enemy to make accusations. Or in the case that he does make accusations, they have no weight. They are now false accusations. Our sins are forgiven. And there may be a season of testing and proving and preparing. When we turn from sin and become obedient, and and this is what I want us to recognize when we start talking about obedience: is that obedience equals blessing and disobedience equals cursing. Obedience equals blessing and disobedience equals cursing. And we see it in the nation and the history of, of Israel. We see it in the oscillation between obedience and disobedience, between faithfulness and unfaithfulness. Deuteronomy 11, 26 and 28. Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commands of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way I commanded you today to go after other gods which you have not known. Notice the if, the, the if, if statements again. If we are obedient, we are blessed. Do you want God's obedience? Or do you want God's blessing? Do you believe that? Do you really believe that His blessing is better than whatever temptation is before you? Do you trust that what God has is better? And this is not necessarily in my notes, but a lot of times, men, we justify our sin right? There's a couple things with that. One, stop. It's, it's sin to justify your sin. And two, in obedience, trust God for whatever the justification is. Whatever, whatever, just, whatever you're using to justify it that needs to change. My wife doesn't respect me. I don't get intimacy the way that I want. What, whatever the case is, do you trust God that he has the ability to heal those circumstances? And even if he doesn't in the way that you desire, do you trust that he will bless you in other areas of your life? Amen? Like, God is better. God is better. Do you believe that his blessings are better? That's what I want. I want God's blessings. And, and this is a heart condition. This is not some pharisaical external act. Right? This is not just an external act of obedience. It's an internal one. We are not whitewashed tombs. It's not about having it all together. It's about choosing and trusting God. His hand of favor goes to those who seek him and honor him, not to those who sin against him. Proverbs 2.22 But the wicked will be cut off from the earth, and the unfaithful will be uprooted from it. He does not bless those who are disobedient. Furthermore, we see significant consequence for those who continually reject the Lord. Jeremiah 7.28 So you shall say to them, this is a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord their God, nor receive correction. Truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouths. And we see this principle playing out in this country even. And it applies not just to nations, but to men. We as men, if we as men are not faithful, the consequence will be the removal of truths from our mouth. And this is the story of Romans chapter 1. They suppressed the truth and exchanged the glory of God for images. The good news is that God is patient. And he offers us many, many opportunities to grow in our obedience and in our faithfulness. And as we grow in our faithfulness, this is the third element, we will begin to see his blessing. Why is faithfulness the foundation to be used by God? Because that's what God calls us to. We are called to be faithful. We're not called to achieve some external thing. We're not called to be some successful thing in life. That's not what the point of this talk is. The man, the mission, the craft is not how to be successful in life. That's not it. It's how to be faithful in life, how to pursue our God. That's what we want. And so how do you define faithfulness? So here's how I define faithfulness. Faithfulness is obedience over time. Faithfulness is obedience over time. The idea of faithfulness always has time connected to it. It's always evaluated in relation to, to time. It communicates an ongoing pursuit, a consistency, a diligence, something that we aim for, that we fight for. In Luke chapter 16 and in chapter 19, we learn the biblical truth that he who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. Luke 16.10 One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? This is the call to faithfulness that we be faithful in the small things. It starts in the small things, the things that we oftentimes consider inconsequential. I'm flabbergasted at the amount of times that men tell me, oh, well, that doesn't matter. Oh, well, that doesn't matter right? No, it matters. It matters. The small things matter. The small things develop the habit, and it's the habit to be faithful or the habit to be unfaithful. And God requires that his stewards be found faithful. 1 Corinthians two. moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. If we are not found faithful in the small things, God knows that we will not be found faithful in the big things. And if we are not found faithful in the things placed in front of us, we will not be found faithful in the spiritual things. This is a spiritual reality. Again, not just about successful and being a success in life. And the fourth is the blameless heart, trusting in the Lord. This is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Second Chronicles 16.9. nine. Second Chronicles 16.9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking to give strong support to those whose hearts are blameless toward him. And I like to stop there, but the next part is important too. For you have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. If you want to be used by God, you need to look to God. You need to trust him. And there are two examples that we see out of this this text. We didn't read the entire thing, but um, if you back up to verse 8, Asa trusted the Lord and the Lord delivered him. He gave the Ethiopians and Libyans into his hand. But in the second case, in verse 7, he did not trust the Lord. Rather, he relied on the king of Syria. And in that case, we see, again, the principle of obedience and disobedience. There was a cursing. From now on, you will have wars. And here's the thing we need to understand about this, guys. Your sin and the consequences of your sin are not relegated to you. They affect everybody around you. Asa's sin caused wars. If Esther had not been faithful, God's purposes will stand. He would send somebody, but it would come at the cost of her and her family. Right? Our sin is painful, not just to me, but to my entire family, to my church, to my community, to our city, to our businesses, whatever it is. It's not just you. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Well, our God roams the earth looking for someone to give strong support. You can be devoured or supported. Like, that's awesome. I want to be supported. But there's a qualifier in that support. And that qualifier is a trusting in the Lord. Do you trust God? It's not physical strength. It's not hard work. It's not a brilliant idea. It's trusting in the Lord and he will support you. And this leads to the craft or the execution of it, rather. What's the mission that God has given you? This is the hard part, right? I think oftentimes, particularly in America, because we have so many opportunities and, and we've been raised to believe that we can do anything that we want to do, which is true, but we put this as some type of an ex- existential question and it's not. It's not. We're not required to answer this question. What are we, we, what are we required to do? Be faithful and follow God. Be faithful and follow God. And those doors and those opportunities will open up. So we answer this question in, in two ways. How do you want to know what the mission that God has given you, what, what your craft is, what your purpose is? We answer this in two ways. What has God placed in front of you? And what are, your, what are, your desire, what are the desires of your hearts? When you're following God, that is. Right? What has God placed in front of you? We're to be faithful to what God has placed in front of us a wife, a family, a church, a job, a community. List them out. Think about those things and think about ways that you have the ability to serve and to lead and to minister. Ministry is not for the full time vocation, ministry is for every guy in this room. Every one of us are called to be on mission. Do you have a vision for your family? Do you have a mission for your family? Do you have family values? Are you discipling your family? Are you ministering to them? Are you praying with them? Are you drawing out their heart and leading them to Christ? Are you praying with your wife? Are you leading family worship? That's right in front of you. That is our primary call as men. If you are not faithful in that, in the small that's not a small thing, but in the immediate thing, you will not have any other greater influence. And in the second, the desires of our hearts, which God uses, the desires of our hearts, he's created us in unique ways, we make plans and we submit them before the Lord in prayer and we see what God is willing to do, what doors he opens and what door he closes. I pray all the time that God would change the desires of my heart so that there's something not, not, not based on some idolatry, but, but based on his plan and his will for my life. And so in general, I think it goes something like this. Here's here's, here's the mission. That you grow in the likeness and character of Christ. And for those you lead, or for those in your influence, grow in the likeness and influence of Christ. That's the craft. That's the mission. Wherever you're at, whatever is placed in front of you. Proverbs 29.2 When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked man rules, the people groan. Part of our mission is to be a righteous leader. Numbers 11, 10 to 15, which we really don't have a whole lot of time to read, but here the people are weeping and grumbling with Moses, right? And so Moses goes before God, and he's crying out to God's, let me, you know. I don't know. Maybe I'll just read it. Why have you afflicted your servant, and why have I not found favor in your sight? That you have laid the burden of all these people on me. Did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them that they should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you swore to your fathers? Where am I to get to get meat to give to all these people? For they weep all over me, saying, Give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to bear all these people alone, because the burden is too heavy for me. And that's right. And that's right. This is leadership. In this country, we have this idea that leaders sit on the top of a, of a pyramid and, and they are to be served. They get all the privileges and, and, and gifts that come along with it. And that's not it at all. Picture an upside-down pyramid and the leader is at the bottom balancing and managing and supporting the needs of all those in his charge and influence. That's the biblical view of leadership. It's about servants or, or being a servant. And we see this with Moses, Nehemiah, David, Daniel, Jesus. The weight and the struggle is good. We are to experience that weight and that struggle. G- Moses felt it. Jesus felt it. And it drove both of them to prayer. Prayer is intend- it, 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 It's intended to drive us to prayer. For us to rely on Christ. It's to humble us. It's intended for our good to realize how much is outside of our control and how much we need Christ. In prayer, we confess and we admit that we are incapable of fulfilling the needs of those we serve. We can't possibly do it. We're finite beings with finite resources and capabilities. We bring our inadequacy and our insufficiency to Christ, and we trust him. When we need him is when we seek him. Leadership provides ample opportunity for us to grow in the likeness and image of Christ. The point is not just to solve all the problems. We don't get to wave a wand and fix all the problems. That's not the point. Every day is an audition. Uh, This last summer I attended, I think it was N.D. Wilson, one of his messages, and he said every day is an audition, and his background is a producer, and so you have actors, and they're going to audition for this part, and based on that audition, they get the part or they don't get the part. And life is a lot like that. To be used by God is a lot like that. Every day is a test. We, are, we get tempted every day. We have trials every day. We get to choose every day to be obedient or disobedient, faithful or unfaithful. You don't get to kick the field goal unless you've kicked thousands in practice. Preparation always precedes opportunity. Preparation always precedes opportunity. You don't get to play a lead actor in the movie unless you've played lesser roles in dozens of other movies. If you want to be entrusted with much, we must seek the Lord in faithfulness and trust him to prepare us. So in conclusion, I want to encourage you to rest in the Lord. Be content knowing that God is at work. He is sovereign and will always and only do things that are good for you. Whatever your station in life, whatever your success or lack of success, whatever has been good for you, God has done for you. Right now, in this moment, draw near to God, seek Him, grow in sanctification and look to God. Look for His strong support and trust Him for that strong support. Knowing that God chooses the right in heart over the right in talent. We do not have to be some amazing man with great talents, we need no genius IQ no prior history of success. We need to be men who trust God, are obedient to God, are faithful to God, and want to be used by God. And when we do that, then we will be able to say, as Jesus said, that we have accomplished the work that he has given us to do. In Christ, in walking with Christ, we will be able to fulfill all his purpose. Father God, thank you for this conference. Lord, thank you for these men who want to be here, who are on mission, taking the time out of their day. Lord God, I pray that that these messages that are spoken, God, would be glorifying to you. I pray that they would be building up of men. I pray that you would help us to retain the things that are pertinent to us. There is going to be so much given out this weekend. We can't possibly retain it all, but God, through the Holy Spirit, we trust you and we ask that you would uh, bless these men and bless the rest of this weekend. In Jesus' name, amen.